0: Hello again, this is Jim Paulson at the Star Tribune with my colleague David Levake. We're going to do some talking preps again today. I think this is episode four or five or we're still in a one hand for this season, but uh, you know, I'm trying to talk a little bit of uh, high school sports as we've gotten basically a little more than a month into the season now, into a season that uh, we all agree is much more normal and much more desirable than the season we had last year. So uh, Anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit, David, about uh, uh, what we have planned, what we're seeing. Uh, again, we always talk football to lead off. It's the big 800-pound gorilla of the high school sports season. Um, David, you've got a story coming up for uh, this Friday um, discussing um, some trends in high school football regarding running backs. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that, What uh, what we're seeing more of this year?
1: Yeah, well, curiosity being one of the foundations of of journalism, I I noticed over these first four weeks that, gosh, running backs seem to be getting used more in the passing game, and not just with the screens, things that you might associate with a running back, but wheel routes, sometimes being split out and getting up downfield, catching balls over the top. And I kept seeing it, and I saw it with teams that you would, Uh, qualifies as being very run-oriented, South St. Paul, St. Thomas Academy, Lakeville South. And while those teams are still going to make most of their money running the ball, I wanted to ask those coaches about what I thought looked like they were being more intentional in using running backs in the passing game. And so I spoke to those, uh, to Dan O'Brien of St. Thomas Academy, Ben Burke of Lakeville South, and also Lambert Brown of Wayzata, who is using a former wide receiver as a running back this year to, to very great results uh, as a runner. But it got me all the thinking about that, and, and I talked to them, and they said, yeah. They said, yes, in the last three or five years, maybe a little bit more, you have seen, um, whether it's them, their offensive philosophies for their own programs or the, the what they're seeing on film when they're scouting other programs and what they're doing, running backs are – not putting up numbers comparable to wide receivers as far as numbers of receptions or yardage, but also not just a, okay, it's a screen pass. Uh, it's there, there's, they're moving toward a, a kind of a middle ground where you're seeing more opportunities for more running backs to do more things to open things up offensively. And, uh, and it, it's, it's kind of a fascinating look into the latest sort of cat and mouse between offenses and defenses in high school football.
0: Did you uh, talk to them all a little bit about what the advantages there are to making your running backs a little bit more integral to the passing game? And again, you mentioned that it's not just the screen pass, which, you know, most people don't realize this, but that that's a complicated play to run because you have to let the linemen get into the backfield. and The running backs have to be in the right place. Um, screen pa- Screen passes are not as easy as they look, but we're talking about running backs getting in positions where they're out in passing routes. He talked to, what do the coaches say about why this is something they want to do? Because it seems like it's a natural progression.
1: Well, yeah, it's a combination of things. There's seven-on-seven, seven, more skilled players are getting more touches and have better hands. And if your running backs and your quarterbacks are generally where you put your best athletes, you're getting more good opportunities for your best athletes to get the ball. If you're throwing to a running back, now you're getting them in space, which makes them even tougher to track and to uh, tackle. If the running backs are getting out into the flat and uh, showing that they can make plays out there, it it also helps your pass protection because you can't just send that extra linebacker after the quarterback. He has to be kept honest with what that running back is doing out there. And so it's uh, it's got a lot of tentacles to it in that regard, and and uh, it's it's made for – Little wrinkles where I, one of the terms Dan O'Brien kept using that I laughed. He he said, "Well, if the defense is getting nosy, then blah blah blah." So I just love that term. You know, not not cheating, not you know eyes in the backfield, but if they're nosy, right? I just that's something about that. I, I just like that the defense is around where it doesn't belong. on. Uh, well, but it, it just allows for what's that? I was going to say, you go ahead. You're it, nosy right, saying, right saying, now. What do you need? <laughs>
0: I was going to say the, uh, and you talked about linebackers. I mean now most linebackers at high school age are are not the 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 big strong tough guys that they are beneath the higher levels they're they are strong and tough but they're they can be two sport out to uh, both sides of the ball kind of athletes. But any coach would love to get his receivers one on one with a linebacker on space. Uh, that's that's a oh, matchup yeah. you're hoping for. So so it makes sense that you're getting that you're sending your running backs out against guys that are not um designed the way you want most coverage guys to be designed. I think that's that's a big issue there, too, is you're going to get that one on one against the linebacker and any good running back should be able to beat most linebackers.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's another piece of the two matchups. What gives us the best matchups? All those pieces go into this. Yes, it, it helps to be a predominantly running team. Yes, it's it's going to be the teams left standing are going to be more of that vein, but and then no, we're not seeing Roger Craig like numbers where kids are gonna run for a thousand yards and receive for a thousand yards, but it, it's it's there are there is more intention put behind using the running backs. And that's that's what we're reflecting in this story. And that's and I, I think it, it makes a lot
0: of sense. It is the way things are going right now. Um you're right. I mean, the the teams that are gonna win are gonna be the run heavy teams, but it's also a much more entertaining style of football to watch for the most part. What would you rather watch? A running back that catches a a short little crossing route and, you know, gets outside and goes for 30 yards or five straight runs uh, up the middle of a fullback that gets three yards. You know, I mean, that you can have success both ways, but in terms of fan interest, that, that short pass to the running back who takes it and makes yards after the catch, uh, that's a much more exciting football play.
1: Absolutely. And that's where we talked about years ago when the spread became fashionable. It gets more athletes out for football. Oh, I'm not just going to be blocking all the time. We're going to have a chance to catch a ball. All right, let's go. So this is an extension of that, too, just getting those skill players involved and letting them do the work.
0: You know, by by the same token. There are teams, and you had mentioned Lakeville South, which is a, a power tee team that's uh, that's throwing the ball a little bit, which is good for them to incorporate the passing game in, into that offense. That's just going to give them an added wrinkle that teams are going to have to be concerned with. But there are teams that still will run that dive to the fullback, um, maybe that the clerk right back on a, on a read option or something pull it out once in a while and, and run around end. But I saw one on Friday night in Centennial, you know, handed Maple Grove its first loss of the season. That was the one of the most vanilla offenses you've ever seen. You know, hit that dive to, uh, the, uh, running back Lance Lou. I think he carried the ball 35 times for 204 yards, finally broke one for 59 yards and a touchdown, but they controlled the ball. They controlled the clock. They, they it was, it, if we still played on dirt fields, um, it would be three yards in a cloud of dust defined. Um, but they controlled, uh, the line of scrimmage, and they ended up beating Maple Grove. And so, there still is um, room for those types of teams that have success. Uh, but this is the way the trend's going. And if, if you're, and most kids, I think would rather play the a little bit more wide open, throw the ball, and and get a chance to run style. Clearly, yep. Yeah. You had some other things you wanted to talk about this 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 week. We've all covered both you and I have covered an awful lot of football games over our over the years um and it's amazing to me that there are still stadiums that i have not been to in the metro um but as I said, we've covered a lot of football games about the places that you prefer to go to your favorite football stadiums your favorite high school football experiences um why don't you give me a couple of the places that you really think are special when it comes to high school football nights
1: well i'll start with you gotta have a way to have a criteria so it's just, you know it, it, to me I like stadiums that are either dug in to, you know, a hilly kind of a layout in, in the neighborhood that it's, that it's in, or if it's sitting on a hill uh, to me, that that sort of location is important. Cause a lot of, you know, you Eden Prairie, Wysetta, Woodbury, they're just kind of dropped onto plots of land. And to me, that's not the same. I mean, those are fine places to play and whatever, but it's not the same. I, I need something that's dug in or, or on a hill, some sort of geographical uh, elements, a uh, topographical element uh, mixed into it. I Believe. don't. There's something unique and then I also bonus points if you had a water tower within view. <laughs> and I guess that completes the Norman Rockwell painting aspect of this setting. Um, so that's those are two of the things. What doesn't factor in for me, I don't care about the $1,000,000 scoreboard. Um, it's pretty prevalent. I don't care if you're grass or turf although there's very little grass left. And I also don't care about the food offerings that there's another gentleman on a podcast that can tell you more about that part. Who
0: lives for what kind of food he's going to get against.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, so my, I'll just keep it short to the, I have a top 10 that I put out in 2013 via Twitter and I'll, I'll just rattle them off quickly. Um, Anoka is my number one, and you told me there's even more reason I'm going to like it. I haven't been there in a few years, but I'm going to like it even more next time. What's happening with uh, Goodrich Field?
0: I've been driving back and forth uh, because we've got some responsibilities up in Anoka all summer long. They've got a brand new turf put in at uh, Anoka, so um, that just makes the field that much easier for teams to play on. It's it's much more in use, but uh, it makes the field, you know, brings the field into today's age where you have a multi-use stadium. You got to have turf or else you're going to have a quagmire by the middle of October.
1: Tell me they put a pumpkin at midfield for the logo. Tell me <laughs> I they that.
0: that I can't say. I've driven by. Yeah. I haven't been in there yet.
1: All right. Well, second on the list. Orinoka. Rust. Yeah. St. Paul Central is up there for me. That's up on a hill. Uh, it, it, it's just a nice brick facade over, over face over 94. Uh, and as, actually, as, as the as the weather really turns uh, later in the season, uh, on a, you can see the capital from up there, which is a, which is a nice added bonus. Um, Hastings, the, the, dropped in. I mean, driving by on sixty one, you wouldn't even know it's there initially. Uh, Todd Field, but down in there is is a beautiful. And I've only been there once. That's the impression it left on me. And that was two thousand and three when I was working for the Woodbury Bullets. And I walked in, I was like, holy cow, this is awesome. And it's never that wonderful first impressions never left me uh you and i have both been to orono and we both like that view over the lake that you get up there in the press box and then i'm going to Matamidi this friday and that's up on a hill by the school and there's a water tower in view so that that is the bonus points for monomedi yeah, you've yeah, been to a lot of- <laughs> i like is where
0: it's situated has attended I've, I've been to a couple of games there where fog has creeped in um, it might be because is there wetlands in the neighborhood I do or nearby? I'm not sure, but I've been to a couple of games where you see fog in media as Media uh, as we get later on into the season, which it adds a real atmospheric element to it. It's kind of cool to experience.
1: That happened to me once at Benil St. Margaret's Old Stadium, which was closer oh, yeah. to kind of the swamps. The new one I haven't seen, but the old one, it was that happened to me once. It's very, very cool when it happens. I uh, had Prior Lake on there, uh, St. Thomas Academy, which probably the most, you know, beautiful press box, certainly, period, in high school, I think. Uh, all enclosed like it is. Uh, that's just a, a wonderful setting. It's, it's like three-tiered back there in this side there, so it's it's wonderful. And then the planes landing uh, at the airport, you know, that, that's, that's an added bonus that you just don't get everywhere. Uh, this one I think you'll agree with, Minneapolis-Washburn.
0: Yes, I, I, but now that Minneapolis South has a brand new field as well that I covered the opening of that a couple of years ago, um, kids are no longer playing on a field that was strewn, that reminded you of a parking lot, strewn with pebbles and rocks and pieces of broken glass. Um, plus the press box at South looking out over the downtown Minneapolis skyline, uh, it's, it's,
1: it's, it's a nice upgrade for South. Well, I'll put a plug in then for North. I had their game last week at North Commons Park. Uh, First of all, easily the best, brightest lights that I've ever seen at a stadium. They really did not scrimp on the lights. It's it's not the you know those ones you see back you they're kind of orange and they they make a humming sound you can hear from two blocks away. That's not the North lights. Those are beautiful LED. They they didn't actually you know a lot of times stadiums. They'll turn the lights on pretty early so that there's kind of a natural blend between the fading of daylight and then the lights. They they delayed that a little bit. So when they did turn them on, I was like, whoa, (laughs) these lights are working. (laughs) So very very good setting with North. Uh, Minnetonka, I like a lot. And Irondale, although Minnetonka and Irondale might be getting kicked off on my list. And it's not anything they did wrong. It's just I I realize how much I really appreciate the pit in South St. Paul.
0: Ettinger Field, yep, yep. with Ettinger the stands should. built into the back of the back of the uh, school. The this, the uh, uh, the a hill behind the school and the stadium is, yep. and then you've got the tunnel that goes under the the, the road to the practice field on the other Ettinger is one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, that, that I think that's going to usurp either Tonker or Eindale, and then Shakopee is going to get the other one because Shakopee, they now they at the middle school, they're not the high school, but. When I'm sitting in that press box, and that's one of those stadiums where you enter, you're at the top of the stadium, and then you go down to where the field is. When you're sitting up there, you know, the River Valley and just the topography of the land, it's it's almost like rolling hills. And it it it's probably one of the few times in Minnesota I felt like I could have been in California. I, you know, it's got that same feel to it. So I, I appreciate that about Shakopee a lot. So I'd, I'd, Shakopee and South St. Paul are moving in. Uh, Minnetonka and Irondale are moving out. Uh, you know, just, just one person's opinion. You, you brought an interesting wrinkle, places you've never been. What, who, what's, what's some of the stadiums that you've maybe seen photographs of or just assume that that the, that the environment's going to be great? What, what are some of those places in your mind?
0: Well, you know, it's hard to say I assume these things, but there are a lot of stadiums of, of, of teams we cover often on the fringe of the Metro that we just don't see um, because we don't get out there too often. Um, I was thinking about how many schools are all out in the West Metro in places like your Rockford's and your Delano's and your your Hutchinson's. And I don't know if I've, I've ever covered a game at any of those three sites, but you should have because those are good teams. I mean, Rockford's been great this year. Um, Hutchinson's always good. Delano's always good. So there And there's teams down south in your Bell Plains and your Jordans and your the uh, places like that where um, – I just haven't been to those stadiums enough or been even by them to know how good those stadiums are. Northfield, for example. I mean, I've been to Northfield. It's the college town. They've got some pretty beautiful campuses there. St. Olaf might be my favorite campus in the entire state for a college. But um, I'd have to believe that, that there's a, a pretty nice place to, to watch a football game in Northfield. But I've never been there and I'm looking for the opportunity to go.
1: I can, I can tell you about Rockford. I did not cover a game there, but we did go out there back in 2014 because they had, they had turf put in. And so they've got turf. It's up on a hill. And then up on that hill, you can see, again, kind of the river valley. And I, I as I recall, you could see like three or four water towers from mm-hmm. the surrounding community. So that that just maxes out the bonus points. But, but mm-hmm. very cool facility up there. I'd like to see a game there now.
0: One thing I want to add to this is also um, – tailgating at high school games has always kind of taken a back seat for a lot of people. We think of tailgating as college and professional, but I tell you that my favorite uh, place for tailgating is St. Michael Albertville. Uh, They've got, uh, if any community has better facilities, I'd harden it across the board. It'd it'd be hard to beat St. Michael Albertville, but the fans get there early. They set up their, their, grills and they sit in the parking lot and there's a lot of them i mean it is a really really swell tailgate atmosphere when you go to st Michael. so uh, uh kudos to the knights
1: very good well and that's uh you know we'll be interested i have saw a couple of places this year i hadn't seen burnsville minneapolis north so i'm we're getting a little short I, I, we both have to be we, we had a list at the office at one point when we used to go into the office and i think we were both in the 70s for stadiums where we've seen games so it is it's always exciting when you can get to a new one, because sometimes it takes a year or two before that can happen. So I am real fortunate this year to have seen Burnsville and Minneapolis North.
0: David, we have some other sports to cover. What is going on in the world across cross-country? The Roy GRIAC was last Saturday. That's that's the big uh, regional cross-country meet held at the University of Minnesota. At the uh, Is it at the uh, golf course still at Les Bolstad?
1: Yeah, so it was Friday this year because of homecoming. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to correct that. And then I have a friend that used to refer to the the golf course. The University of Minnesota is Les Bolstad. He always called it the Len bias (laughs) because for for whatever reason, I don't know. But so sometimes I got to catch myself so I don't say the wrong thing. Uh, I want to thank Southwest Boys Cross Country owner Sam Scott. I did a blog item on that young man the morning of the GRIAC race last Friday talking about how he'd won his previous five meets of the year. And now he's coming in with the number one ranking to the GRIAC. And by God, he did it again. Sometimes the athletes make you look smart. <laughs> so Sam Scott won the boys gold division 5K. Uh, he um, There were other uh, Minnesotans in the top five. Nick uh, Giles, if I hope I'm saying that right, from Minnetonka, was third. And uh, sorry, top six, Daniel Vanicker from Forest Lake. Uh, sixth, So the boys showed well why uh, was third in the team competition. The girls gold 5K won by Allie Weimer or Weimer of Saint Michael Albertville. We have to worry more about the spellings and the pronunciations, Jim. So that's <laughs> uh, but she uh, she showed very well for herself. Uh, St. Paul Highland Park was the top finishing Minnesota team at third. Uh, and then the boys Maroon, uh, we had another Minnesota winner. Charlie power Thice or advice from St. Paul Como Park wins that race. And in the uh, girls Maroon 5K, the team from Moundsview was the champion there. So Minnesotans showed pretty well in, in what is a regional, uh, a prestigious regional meet uh, run at the University of Minnesota every year. So kudos to all the, uh, the fast kids for for being themselves. That attracts
0: teams from across the upper Midwest and sometimes from even further away. So it's a regional. That's why uh, it's it's no small feat to win that because there are, great cross-country teams um, from around the country that show up at the Roy act so congratulations to them. I do have to call you out on one thing, David, as No, take a take a cheap shot at you. I'm just warning you. You did a, a story on Sam Scott instead of Southwest, and then yeah. he, said he had won his five previous meets. Um, yeah. And then he said, "Then he won a six And he said, "Sometimes it makes us seem smart." I just wanted to ask you how smart do you have to be to choose a kid that had won five in a row going. <laughs> or is that as you know? So kudos to your smarts there, but good for you. But it's it, it wasn't like it was a, a real insightful thing. So I just wanted to call you out on uh, on that to go with the the favorite. Um,
1: yeah, I, I didn't go out on a very thin limb there. That's true. Anything <laughs> can happen, you know. So I'm glad glad he got it done. No, you, you
0: know you're right. You you picked absolutely the right time and the right person. And it, it uh, sometimes when you do this job, that uh, kind of serendipi- uh, serendipitous sorts of uh, things happen, and, and it makes you feel good when that when it does. Um, anyway, last thing I want to ask is um uh, this week, we, what games are we going to be at for high school football this week?
1: I'll be at Spring Lake Park at Montemidai. I'm very interested to see that in five A. Spring Lake Park is three and one. Montemidai is four and zero. And this is going to be one of those games where you get a better sense of who is toward the top in 5A. Both of them, I mean, both of them will be there regardless. But it's curious when you have two of the better ones matching up and uh, seeing where we stand after that.
0: And 5A is a is a a real strong class of football this year. It really is. So, uh, and I will be out at uh, White Bear Lake, which I haven't been to for years, um, to see Stillwater at White Bear Lake. Two teams that are really stepped up their games this year. Stillwater four and zero. White Bear Lake's been one. I don't think we've uh, covered a game at White Bear Lake in a while, and Stillwater has been a team that, uh, you know, we're just waiting to take that extra step. And this year they've done it, um, and that should be a good another good East Metro Class 6A game to see where these teams are, and if the if the, both of these teams are as good as their records say they are. I, I think we also have a reporter well. out at uh, Minnetonka for Saint Michael Albertville, and mm-hmm. Minnetonka the game of uh, uh, between two three and one Class 6A teams that uh, are looking to uh, solidify themselves as contenders. And this game will lo- go a long way towards that.
1: I wish you better luck at White Bear Lake. The last time I was there, it was, it was, a, it was being used as a neutral site for the 6A playoffs. Uh, Blaine and, uh, gosh, I can't remember the other team involved. I think it was Eastview. Uh, in any case, there was a, uh, some sort of fire inside the White Bear building, and it knocked out the power to the stadium, and the game had to be delayed until the next day. So I wish you, I wish you better luck.
0: Do didn't remember that. Oh, and White Bear Lake, um, I won't name names, but there was a coach there at White Bear Lake uh, years ago um, that really liked to be, uh, a, as a good coach, but a controlling coach. And you didn't get a chance to do any of your interviews until he had pulled his team off the field. They all had to wait for each other and walk in together. And they'd go into the locker room or the gym or wherever they went in to talk. He'd talk for 15 or 20 minutes. It was only then that you would get a chance to talk to them. And for those of us writing on deadlines, there should be nothing more maddening than standing there in a gym knowing you had a deadline coming up, approaching, and the clock is ticking and the coach is and the team is nowhere to be found. So, uh, yeah, White Bear Lake is always a memorable place um, and a frustrating place, but, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it.
1: That was a coach who would not, you know, bringing this podcast full circle. That is that coach you're referring to is not one that would have been intentional about using the running backs in the passing game. (laughs)
0: No, he had success his own way, though. And it's interesting that he was a coach at two of the schools we're covering on on Friday night.
1: That's right.
0: And at Spring Lake Park. Um, Again, I I don't want to call him out by name, but uh, if you know high school football, you probably know who we're talking about. Um, Yeah. Anything we haven't forgot to get to, Dave?
1: Or did you want to plug volleyball?
0: Well, you know, congratulations to YZ, which has now won 37 straight dual meets, and oh. uh, they won the state championship in, ni- in 2019. It wasn't much of a, a season last year that they were undefeated, and they're doing it this year. They're ranked number one in, in class, the new Class 4A, um, despite having uh, one of the top players in the state that was out from the, for the season uh, with, I think it was hip surgery, before the season even started, and uh, Olivia Swenson. Um, but they're still able to absorb the loss of one of the state's best players and still keep rolling. So congratulations to Y Z for uh, for their impressive win streak.
1: I think that's a wrap, sir.
0: I think it is. Thanks for joining us. And
1: this is talking Preps, Start reviewing. Appreciate you being here. Talk to you next week.